least one or two of you who may not know the story. Um, and it's okay if you don't. Uh, Frodo is the character on the screen. He's got a golden ring that, that he has to deliver to a place that's going to be destroyed because it has to be destroyed because if the ring, which represents all kinds of power, gets into the wrong hands, uh, the world of men can be destroyed. And so this particular scene, he's actually ready to give up and he's about ready to hand over the ring to who was called the Dark Lord. All right, so just, and we'll just watch the clip and then we'll go from there. Your son. Don't you know your son? We shouldn't even be here. We are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. How could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow, even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. 
water we all belong to, Sam. There's some good in this world, Mr. Burrow. And it's worth fighting. Now, on this part. Now, uh, as is often the case, uh, the movie doesn't always mirror the book in terms of what's exactly said. So I'm going to actually read you. I wanted to show you the kind of the scene there because Sam was trying to encourage Frodo in the midst of his wanting to give up. And let me read from the book uh, the actual talk or the, what, what Sam actually says, all right? Frodo says, I don't like anything here at all. Step or stone, breath or bone, earth, air, and water all seem accursed, but so our path is laid. Yes, that's so, said Sam, and we shouldn't be here at all. If we'd, know more, if we'd known more about it before we started, but I suppose it's often the way, the brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo, adventures as I used to call them, I used to think they were these wonderful things and wonderful folk in the stories went out and they looked for these adventures because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, kind of a sport as you might say. But it's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have been just landed to them. Usually their paths were laid that way as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances like us of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those as just went on, and not all to a good end, mind you, at least not to what folk inside the story or outside call a good end. You know, coming home and finding things all right, though not quite the same. But those aren't always the best tales to hear, though they may be the best tales to get landed in. And this last line is the one I love the most. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. I wonder what, tale, what sort of tale we've fallen into, Sam. So I, I, what's, what's the story laid out in front of us? Here's the question I'm going to ask you, and I'm asking myself is, have you ever wondered what sort of tale you've landed into? Some of you right now, your stories are, maybe even like Sam said in the some of your stories might now be boring. Some of your stories might be painful. Some of your stories might be exciting. You have no idea of the tale you've landed into, though. You have no idea what's coming down the road. Some of you would say, I wish my tale would end. I wish my storyline would change. And it's kind of like what Sam says in the quote. We don't necessarily go looking for it. Sometimes we just find ourselves in situations, and then we have to wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. We've, the last number of weeks before Christmas, we took a break during Christmas, and today's the last Sunday I'm going to talk about the book of Daniel. And Daniel very easily could have said, I wonder what sort of tale I've fallen into. Because you remember the story of Daniel. Let me just do it. I'm going to do just a quick 
go through the whole book. Story of Daniel, Daniel is a young man, is a teenager, teenage boy, along with many others from his country, were basically ripped from their homeland in Jerusalem. They were overtaken by the Babylonians, and as was the custom then, the Babylonians take the best and the brightest back to their home, hometown. So starts off, Daniel's story starts off with uh, destruction. His hometown's destroyed. Goes to captivity. He's in captivity. And then it's, he's faced with many opportunities to compromise. You remember they were offered the king's meat eat, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were uh, put in the fire because they wouldn't bow down to the king. So destruction, captivity, and compromise. Those were part of his stories to start with. Now let me just stop here for a second. If you remember last week, one of the things I said, which I think we all deal with, we tend to have this paradigm that Christian life is supposed to work this way. Believe in God, be a good person, therefore all, then everything will work out okay and you'll be happy. It's this false equation that some of us desperately want to be true. I desperately want it to be true. If I believe in God, if I'm a good person, if I'm good to my wife and my kids and I'm good to poor people and I don't kick my dog and I give money to the church and I go to church and I sing when they play songs I know, but then therefore shouldn't everything work out good for me? Shouldn't my life be happy all the time? And we tend to think that must be what's true. And if we don't find the happiness that we think is supposed to be there, we come to one of two conclusions. Either A, I'm blowing it. I must be doing something wrong. And then we kind of swirl into self-condemnation. Or B, God's holding out on me. And again, instead of, if we believe the false assumption, those are only two possibilities. If I'm not happy, it must be because I'm blowing it or God's blowing it. Neither one of those situations puts us in a good place. So let's, let's throw that equation away. Believe God, be good, all will be happy. Because that wasn't Daniel's tale, and that's not a lot of your own stories or tales that you're living or you will live. Please hear me. I'm not saying you follow Jesus and you're in for a really painful, hard, sad time. But let's just be honest with the story of Daniel. And later on, we'll be honest even today with some of the other stories of Scripture, all right? But let's talk about this. So destruction, captivity, and compromise. Then later in the book, there's times of persecution. Go to the, yeah, persecution. Daniel's thrown in the lines then because he's praying. There's one point where Daniel then has a vision, and he says he's full of terrifying fear because of what he thinks is going to be happening down the pike. And then again, this vision has things predictions of devastation so so far we've had destruction captivity compromise persecution terrifying fear devastation then the book continues go to the next one the book continues and daniel has a time of deep deep sorrow for the sins of his people and he's broken with sorrow there's evidence of spiritual warfare you remember in one of the chapters an angel shows up and said i would have showed up sooner but the prince of persia was fighting me in battle and they were talking about the spirit prince and all this spiritual warfare and daniel's head is spinning in the middle of the tale he's living then there's more persecution predicted in these visions daniel starts having these visions as God tells them what they mean, it means more persecution for God's people. And again, Daniel's story, it seems to be, it's, you, would, you would think the story should go up and to the right, but it's not. Then the story continues. And now he has more visions about what's going to happen in the future. And this is where some of his visions entail what's going to happen in the, 
near future as well as the far near future, but there's going to be deception. Even God's people will be deceived, Daniel hears from God. There's going to be a time of great anguish. And then in chapter 12, Daniel's told by this messenger from God, then there will be a shattering of God's people. Okay, so at this point, how many of you want to sign up for that story? Right? Deception, destruction, captivity, deep sorrow, spiritual warfare. Go back, go back to the other one, Keaton, for a second. Deep sorrow, spiritual warfare, and more persecution. That is not the story most of us want. Now, let me back up for a second here. Keaton, if you can find, if this slide that says you were, uh, toward the very beginning, there's one that says the spirit of the Holy God is in you. Because there's two things that are said over and over about Daniel in this book. And what I want to say is because how do we become Daniel kind of people? How do we become the kind of people and what do we hold on to? You know, in the movie clip, Sam said we need to hold on. There's good in the world. But, you know, Frodo is saying, well, why should I keep going? What am I holding on to? There's two things that Daniel clearly holds on to. And my challenge to you and to me, if we're going to be Daniel kind of people, we do too. At least four times in the book, it is said of Daniel, the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And that's what gives Daniel the ability to kind of interpret dreams. He hears from God. He understands God. He's in communication with God because the spirit of the holy gods, from the point of view of the pagans, we knew it's the spirit of God. The spirit of the holy gods is in you. That's one deep thing that Daniel desperately holds on to in the midst of this. The second thing is repeated about Daniel, go to the next one, Keaton, is you are greatly loved. In the latter part of Daniel, when uh, angels or messengers show up and Daniel finds out these predictions about what's going to happen to God's people and the, and the pain and the anguish and the persecution and Daniel's being forlorn. And one time Daniel even says he was terrified with what he knew was going to happen. And the angel would say to him, but you are greatly loved. Daniel, you are greatly loved. One version says, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So there's two things right here that Daniel holds on to deeply. And that is, one, he has the spirit of God inside of him. And two, he knows he is greatly loved by God. Those two things give Daniel the ability to endure Destruction, captivity, persecution, terrifying fear, devastation, deep sorrow, spiritual war, persecution, deception, anguish, and the shattering of God's people. Because those are the two things he holds on to. Now, what's interesting, now Keaton, go to the one that has like purified, uh, yeah. What's interesting, at the very end of the book, after all these things take place, all this story of Daniel that is, uh, Daniel's story, in a sense, probably makes Frodo's story look a little tame because Daniel has to endure a lot of stuff. He has a lot of awareness of what's going to come down the path. But at the end of chapter, toward the end of the book of Daniel, it says, and God's people through this will be purified, cleansed, refined, and rescued. Now, let's just stop for a second because every single one of us here, I guarantee you, and I'm a, yeah, I guarantee you, every single one of us here we want this, we just don't want the other things, right? I mean, I, I want everyone, I want to be purified, cleansed, I want to be refined, I want to be rescued, I want to be a whole, I'm going to be alive, awake, and free. But can I get that without destruction, captivity, persecution, fear, devastation, sorrow, spiritual war, deception, anguish, and shattering? 
I mean, surely, surely there's a version of Christianity I can get this without all the bad stuff. Isn't there? Is Daniel's story the way it ought to be? Is the way it always is? Or is it common? Can I avoid that? Is that just for a few people have a hard life and the rest of us can have the be good, believe in God, happy life? Or is the story of Daniel, the tale he's fallen into, somewhat prescriptive for the tale we fall into? Maybe not the tale we want to fall into, but the tale we find ourselves in, the big story we find ourselves in. Fast forward a couple thousand years. Go to the next slide here. Book of Ephesians. Because I'm gonna, next week I'm going to start doing some uh, talk, some of the book of Ephesians, primarily around marriage, Ephesians chapter 5. But I want, to, I want us to see kind of the larger story of Scripture, all right? So Daniel was written about 650 B.C. Ephesians jumps in, what, 700 years later, generally the same part of the world. Ephesus was a city in Greece. Uh, Ephesians was a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. Anybody know, anybody know offhand where Paul was when he wrote it? A pretty good guess would be where? Prison! I mean, half the things Paul did, he was in prison. Right away, it kind of rocks us a little bit. It's like, wait a minute, so Paul's in prison. Okay, it sounds like Paul and Daniel already have some things in common. Captivity, being somewhere you don't want to be. Persecution, anguish, sorrow. So Paul's in prison, and even, his, even him bringing the gospel message to Ephesus uh, he was stoned. There were times in that part of the world where he was whipped. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was left for dead. And again, right here, please hear me. I'm not saying that's all of our lot, but it, it, we can't avoid those themes of Scripture. You can't avoid the themes of Daniel and the trials he went through. And then you jump to Paul, and, and Paul's in, the, in prison, and he's writing things that seem to be Joyful, and it's like, Paul, how can you be that way? You're in a rat hole of a hell hole of a prison. And how do you. How, let's look at something Paul wrote, and this is what I want to focus on, and we'll just end with and focus on this today, because I'm, I'm amazed at this when I think of Paul writing this to the Ephesian Christians, and through Paul, the Holy Spirit, communicating this to every single person here today what Paul says in Ephesians 3. This is part of his letter. And he's talking about his love for the people. And he says, because of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Now, Paul could be writing this to Daniel, right? But he's right. Through the Holy Spirit, it's written to us as well. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, 
how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Now, let me just tell you the word experience there. It's the same word that's often used in the Greek language for the intimacy between a husband and a wife. So I'm not trying to be weird or perverted, but what I'm saying is what Paul's praying for is this deep heart emotional connection with the love of God in your life. Not knowledge of love of God, not yes, I know God loves me, I know it's true, but he's talking about an experience of the love of God in your life. He says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. So, you know, one of the things that we, one thing that we can do to be Daniel kind of people, or one thing we can pray for, go to the next slide there, Keaton. What did God tell Daniel? You're greatly loved. What's Paul praying for the Ephesians for? And then we could also kind of say, what is the Holy Spirit praying for us for? And he's basically, we're, we're greatly loved. That no matter what comes down the path, destruction, captivity, persecution, sorrow, whatever, whatever your story is, one thing you can deeply hold on to is you're greatly loved by God. Not cognitively, simply acknowledge, yes, I know God loves me, but the prayer that the Holy Spirit would have for each one of us is that we all experience the love of God. And you might say, wait, I don't get that. What do you mean experience? I don't know there's a pat answer for that, but I do know every single one of us here could experience more of the love of Jesus in our lives. Experience it. Not having right theology, not having right doctrine, although that's, not, that's important. I'm not saying those things aren't important. But it seems like Paul's telling him the thing you need to hold on to and the thing I want for you more than anything else, Paul says, is I want you to experience the love of Jesus. How wide, how high, how deep, and how big it is for you. You have no idea how much Jesus loves you, is what Paul's saying. He's not giving them a theological teaching. He's not telling them to behave well. He's not telling them to be moral people and tell the truth. Those things, yes, they're important. But if you think that's the essence of Christianity, then, you're, then it's totally not it. The essence of Christianity is Jesus. Novel idea. The essence of Christianity is Jesus. And the essence of Jesus' pardon of Christianity is his deep love for every single person. Not only in this room, but every single person that's ever been made on the planet Earth. And God's desire for us to experience that in our lives. Then, then, then he goes on and Paul says this. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. What was the second thing that was told that Daniel was told? You're, you are loved by God. And what else was said about Daniel? Spirit of the holy gods is in him. He's full of the spirit. Go to the next. Paul's praying this, and he wants you to know, and he wants me to know. In this case, it's not holy God, small h and small g. But what Paul's saying is, I am praying that you will be absolutely full of the life of God inside of you. Some versions will translate it full of the life and power that comes from God. What would your life look like if you were full of the life of God? What would your li- how would your life look, life look differently? How would your marriage look differently? If you, I'm not talking about your spouse right now, but if you were full of the life that comes from God. 
if you were full of the Spirit, if you had the Spirit of the Holy God inside of you fully, completely, what would your marriage look like? What would your relationship with friends, strangers, enemies look like? What would your relationship with your money look like if you were full of the life and power that comes from God? And that's what Paul's praying for, for these people. Now let me, let me illustrate something here. Because I think here's, here's one of the false... Okay, what's your name? Suzanne. Suzanne. I'm not going to make you drink and I'm not going to throw it on either, so don't worry. Is that full? No. Is it full now? It's close. Is it full now? Okay. In the biblical sense, that's what fullness is. Right? Overflowing. I got a towel. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Overflowing, right? We tend to think, well, I've got enough. But, but the, the message of Scripture is no. Fullness is overflowing. What did Jesus say to the I have water you to drink through the drink. He said to the woman of the world, I have water for you to drink. And when you drink this water, you will be like a gushing stream of living life. Living, you'll be like a, a stream of gushing living water to people around you. So if you are full of the spirit of God inside of you, if you have the fullness of God inside of you, can you imagine what that could do in your marriage? Can you imagine what that would do to, to anybody's life around you. Can you imagine what that would do as you interact with people who don't like you, who accuse you, who are your enemies? Can you imagine how you would respond around people who are strangers and orphans? So again, the question is, what, is it, what does that look like? And what do we need, what do I need to do, what do you need to do to be the kind of person who could say, I am growing in my ability to experience the love of God in my life. And I want to be full. Full. Full of the life and power that comes from God. Not full of a lot of head knowledge. Not I'm a good moral person. Not I go to church on Sundays. Not I read my Bible. Good things. The end goal is full of the life and power that come from God. Paul's in prison. We don't know exactly when he wrote it, but it's a good chance he knew that he may not get out, ever get out as a free man. And the two things he deeply wants for these fellow followers of Jesus was, I want you to experience the love of Christ. I want you to experience it. Not just understand it. I want you to experience it. And I want you to be full of the life and power that come from God. There's nothing more that mattered to Paul there's nothing more that matters to God for us than those two things. One of the things that I was, when I was working on this in the, the Ephesians passage has kind of been hitting me a lot this week because I'm going to challenge you, and you'll hear more about it next week, but maybe some of you would be willing to start this week. Are there Starting with, if you're married, starting with your spouse. If you have kids, have your kids. If you have good friends, roommates, boyfriend, girlfriend. Pick a few people and begin to pray, real simply, praying for them for these two things. 
you know, what, what, would, what would change in me if I begin to pray for my wife, Kathy, and my kids that they would experience the fullness of the love of Jesus and they'd be full of the life and power that come from God? If you don't know how to pray for your spouse or your friends or for that matter, your enemies, it's a really good place to start. And it, it'll take you, what, 15 seconds to pray that way for them. I'm not, I'm not into sh- necessarily trying to find the shortest way to pray. Don't get me on that one. But you know what I'm saying? It's not... It's simply saying, God, would you, would you, would, could she or he experience the depth of the love of Jesus in their life? And God, would you fill them up with your life inside of them? It's a way to pray for yourself as well, but I'm going to challenge you over the next few weeks to be praying for others, specifically if you're married, for your spouse in that way, that you would pray for them to experience the love of God. You are fully loved by God. You are precious in the eyes of God. And that they would understand the fullness of what God wants to pour into their life. Not half full, not three quarters full, not 100% full, but overflowing full. What would that look like for you? What would that look like for those you love? What would it look like for those outside of your world? All right. Keaton, go to the, go back one, because I'm going to just that last, just go back to the yeah, because in that last phrase, it's now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Um, you may be in a tale or in a story right now that you think this may never end. Actually, at the end of the book of Daniel, one of the questions, one of these messengers that Daniel sees in a vision asked, the messenger kind of raises his hand before God and says, how long will this go on? Doesn't he really get a clear answer. Then Daniel asks, when will this all end? Doesn't really get a clear answer. So if you're looking for an answer, we don't have an answer of the timeline of when things will change for the better or whatever, but you do have this promise that God, because of his mighty power and work inside of you, he can accomplish things you've never imagined he could accomplish in you. And he'll probably do it in ways that aren't in your control. I was having lunch with somebody this week, and he was saying, and I agree because I have the same issue, you know, we love to control our lives. We love to keep control of things. We love things to fall in line because we think we can get to happiness if we can keep under control. And it seems like one of the stories, storylines of Scripture is God often brings us to those places, does things way outside of our imagination of what we could do, but he brings us there out of our control. But he's able to do infinitely more than might ask or think. So that's, uh, that's my prayer for you. That's my hope for you. And actually one of the things I'm going to be doing more in the next few weeks is I'm going to be actually praying for us as a congregation and you as individuals even with a list I have of praying for all of us to be um, experience the love of Jesus and to be full of the life and power that comes from God. So let me pray. God, there are uh, I think for a lot of us we come to church, God, and we um, we do it to some degree because it's habit, and it's not a bad habit. Um, we do it to some degree because it's expected of us, or we're, you know, we want to be perceived as a certain way. But I do believe, God, deep down inside each one of us, we come because we do want to experience you. We want to hear from you. We want to be the kind of people 
that seem to live above life, but in a way that it truly is life. So God, I pray for these, uh, my brothers and my sisters here this morning, for all of us, God, that we would experience the love of Jesus that Paul says is hard for us to even imagine, but I pray for that for us. And I also pray, God, that um, we would be filled to the fullness of life and power that come from you. And that would show up in our relationships, that would show up even this week. It would show up in ways where we see ourselves and ex- understand that we're being changed by you. Not that we're trying harder, but you're doing greater work and we're giving you the permission to do that. So God, would you do that uh, in our lives and through our lives this week? And we ask this all in Christ's name, amen. Uh, how we finish every week at Exodus is we uh, take communion.